council this morning. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. Good to be in worship this morning together. What an amazing morning it's already been together. And let's now go into God's Word together and hear what He has to say to each of us. If you want to grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, we'll be right in the beginning of the Bible. Page 22, we'll be in together. Yeah, do I sound okay? Okay. Page 22, we'll be in, I think it's on, right? Yeah. Genesis chapter 28, we'll be in together this morning. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been studying through the life of Jacob. Uh, the Jacob of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fame. Jacob, one of the patriarchs, one of the founders of the faith in many ways. And we've been walking through his life and learning more and more about how God blessed him. And we've been talking about this sermon series called The Unstoppable Blessing. Understanding what blessing means and experiencing true blessing. Now I want to ask a question this morning to each of you. Have you ever made a mess and then tried to somehow fix it or clean it up and then made the mess even worse? Now that could be a literal mess or it could be something in your life that you've tried to fix or tried to make better and over time actually made it worse. This week as I was looking through the life of Jacob, I was reminded of an incident in my own life. Now I grew up in one of those houses that were clean when people came over. And this house, it was clean when people came over, but not clean when people weren't there because I grew up with two brothers. The three of us made a huge mess in the house all the time. Now, my mom, she had a very specific rule when it came to the things that we did in the house. She had a certain set of dishes, cups, things that we were allowed to use all the time. And then there was this little cabinet thing that lived in the kitchen dining area that was filled with cups and plates that we were never allowed to touch. How many of you grew up in a house like this, right? These were the plates and the dishes and the cups that were meant for guests. So you three, my own flesh and blood, you are never allowed to touch those. <laughs> it was always use that plastic cup and then wash it or whatever it might be, but you use the plastic, the stuff in the cabinet. By the way, none of it was valuable, but to us looking at it, it was like diamonds and crystals and precious gems were sitting in this cabinet that we were not allowed to touch. And every day, we would have to abide by this rule, use the plastic, but just look at the nice stuff. I remember one day, I was out with my friends. We were playing sports all day outside. I was hot, I was thirsty, and I came running into the house. My parents were both working at the time. And I looked into the cup that I would normally use, and then out of the corner of my eye, I saw the cup from the knowledge of good and evil, the cup that you are not allowed to touch. And I remember just standing in that moment thinking, no one's here, let me taste a drink from the diamond glass. And I went and I grabbed one of the cups, filled it up, and I thought, let me now go outside and let my friends see me drinking from this precious glass. I went outside, I sat on the steps, the little concrete steps in front of our house. I sat there, drank from it. Everyone saw me drinking from it, and I stood up to walk back into the house. It slips and crashes to the ground. And now I've made a mess. It's messy. There's glass everywhere. Diamonds, in my opinion, but glass everywhere. And I stood up in that moment. I thought, I have done something terrible. 
Uh, my parents are going to be extremely angry with me. I'm going to get into a lot of trouble. I'll likely have to start looking for another family to live with very soon. And this mess in my mind has got to be cleaned up right away. I run into the house and I grab a dustpan and a broom and I start sweeping up everything I can as fast as I can, run back into the house and I start dropping it into the trash can. I think I've cleaned up everything. Then I turn around and I look. And from the front door to the kitchen, there's blood on the floor. And then I start to look down and I realize I'm barefoot. I've cut my feet up pretty bad, and I turned a mess into an absolute disaster. How do you get blood out of carpet? And I'm sitting here going, this is not good. And so for the next maybe 30, 40 minutes, along with my two brothers who were not as bright like me, and we decided to scrub the carpet, scrub every little piece of tile. Of course, we didn't clean it up anywhere near like we should have. Of course, we all got in trouble for my mistake. And my mess went from bad to worse very, very quickly. Have you ever been in a situation where you made a mess, you tried to fix it, and it only got worse? In fact, this past week, in addition to my, my role here at the church, I also teach at Boston University. This past, week, <laughs> yeah, this past week, I caught a student cheating this past week. Now, sadly, this is much more common than it used to be, and I don't know why that is, but confronted this student. And I knew she had cheated. It was so obvious she had cheated. And so she spent the next 10 or 15 minutes denying that she cheated, lying about the entire incident until about 10 or 15 minutes of constant questioning. She finally admitted, yes, I did cheat. Now, I could see from the moment she admitted it that she had cheated, something is happening in her heart now. How can I ever repair this relationship with the person that I made a mess with? And so she is now thinking in her heart and her mind, how can I ever get my professor to trust me again? How can I ever repair this relationship? She made a mess, made it worse, and now all she thinks about is, can I ever be worthy of trust again? Now, I've caught students cheating before, and I know what's going to happen in the next 10 weeks. She will raise her hand constantly in class for the next couple of weeks. She will give her opinion on everything. She will constantly email me with great ideas and great articles that she's found. She'll come to office hours regularly, and she'll tell me how much she loves the class and how much this material is life-changing to her, and I know none of that is true. What is she trying to do? I've made a mess. I made it worse. I've got to fix it somehow. I've got to be found worthy of this person's trust and respect one more time again. It's a mess. What do you do when your life is in a situation where you've made a mess or someone has made a mess in your life? Maybe you're not even responsible for it. It's a messy situation and you try to clean it up. You try to fix it and it only gets worse over time. All throughout these past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of blessings. But what if my life is a mess? Is there such a thing as a blessing for a person whose life is uncertain, whose life is messy, whose life is not put together perfectly, who doesn't have everything figured out, who's not right with God, are there still blessings for such a person? This morning, when we look in the life of Jacob, I hope you will see that the answer to that is yes. Not because of us, 
but because of the one who blesses us. So if you want to join me this morning, we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 28. I'll just read verses 10 through 22, and I'd love for you to follow along as we do that. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Let me just stop there very quickly. It's just two towns, right? It's 500 miles between those two towns. Now let's keep reading. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and all that you have given me, I will give a full tenth back to you. Talk about an uncertain mess that a person is living through. Over these last couple of weeks, we've been studying how Jacob's life is messy. We've been talking about this man who chases blessings. He is willing to deceive his brother for a birthright. He's willing to deceive one of his parents. He's willing to do whatever it takes to be blessed. Because in his mind, blessing is the ultimate pursuit. Getting stuff is the ultimate pursuit. And then his deception leads him into this very climactic moment in this chapter that we read where his brother is now chasing him to kill him. His parents know that this man, Jacob, will never survive his brother's threat. And so they send Jacob off to go and live in a land that was where the family of his mother was from. And so he said, go, go now, get on the run, become a fugitive, leave this place and go. And so Jacob does. 500 miles he has to travel. I want to give you an idea of what this journey would have been like. That's as if all of us, right after service today, walked out this door at 51 Lexington Street and did not stop walking till we reached the White House. Washington, D.C. is 500 miles from here. Jacob is running for his life for 500 miles. 
And along the way, he has what we can only call uncertainty. Think about what every day would feel like, knowing that my brother and his entire tribe are chasing me to kill me, knowing that my life is completely uncertain. I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't know what I'm going to eat. I don't know if my clothes will last until I get to this other place 500 miles away. Here I was living in the tents of my father. And let's not forget who my father is. My father is Isaac of Isaac fame. That's whose house I was living in. And now I'm being pushed out into the uncertainty of not knowing where my next meal will come from. Will wild animals kill me? What will happen to my life? It's uncertainty. It's this place, this spiritual condition between Beersheba and Haran, this spiritual condition of just not knowing. Some of us are in this condition right now. This condition of anxiety that comes from simply not knowing. I don't know what tomorrow holds, and so I have extreme anxiety and worry today. I don't know if I'm supposed to go in this direction. I don't know if I'm supposed to make this decision. And uncertainty overwhelms us. And when uncertainty comes, there's this anxiety and this distance from God that comes with it. And there's this requirement to now make a decision. For some of us, we're running from something. Something someone did to us. Something that we did. We're running from a life of sin. We're running from all of the guilt that we hold in our lives. And we're running away from something. Some of us are running towards something. That life will be better when I do this. When I have this job. When I finish this degree. That everything will be better when I run toward this. And all along the way there is uncertainty. What happens if that doesn't happen? What happens if the prayer isn't answered? What happens if my son never calls me back? What happens if this sickness doesn't go away? There's uncertainty that fills our hearts. And this morning, some of us are here with deep uncertainty in our lives. The uncertainty that Jacob felt. Do you want to know how desperate his uncertainty was? This was his pillow that night. Think about this for a second. How bad do you sleep when you're sleeping on this? How poor is one night's rest? How restless do you get when you're sleeping on a pillow of a rock in the night? I don't know about you, but I have to have two pillows. They have to have the exact firmness that I require, and even then I wake up with pain in my neck. This was Jacob's desperation. I'm sleeping on a rock because I've got nothing. I'm uncertain. That's how uncertain my life is, this life on the run. And uncertainty comes with anxiety. And Jacob knows that I have this destination far into my future, but let me be honest, 500 miles, anything can happen along the way. There was an experiment done in the Netherlands years ago. The experiment was a simple one. These researchers, they took people in one group and they tied them up to a, a simple sensor, a simple machine that would give them 20 very strong shocks and told them, you are going to be shocked 20 times very strong. And then there was a second group. This group was also going to get 20 shocks. 17 of them would be extremely mild. You'd barely feel it, but three of them would be strong. 
which group do you think had more anxiety? The group that doesn't know when the pain is coming had by far greater anxiety than the one that was going to experience 20 shocks. It was this knowledge, this understanding that I don't know when the bad is going to come, so I'm going to have to live with this constant dread about what's coming up next. And that's Jacob's life, this dread of wondering what's going to happen next. Today, I want to remind you how God looks at these seasons of uncertainty in our lives. Let's get something very clear here. Seasons of uncertainty are an invitation to seek the blesser more than a blessing. Let me remind you what that means. Jacob is not by any stretch a good person. We see him as a mocker, a deceiver. In fact, we, we often see him as someone who's trying to connive and manipulate situations. There's all this negativity around Jacob's character. In fact, in all of Jacob's story, have we once seen Jacob pray? Have we seen him talk to God? Have we seen him even have a spiritual conversation with another person? Remember, this is Jacob, son of Isaac, and never once do we see him have anything that resembles a relationship with God. And so when his life gets uncertain, his reflex is, I've got to get a solution to my uncertainty. I've got to get an answer to what I'm going through. I've got to get someone to solve the problem that I'm going through. God, I've heard you solve problems. Let me go to you because you will solve my current problem. But church, this morning, especially to those of you who are going through seasons of uncertainty, I remind you that seasons of uncertainty are an invitation to seek the blesser, to seek God even more than the solution to your problem that you have an opportunity to come here and to experience the blessing of God, the presence of God, to know God, and that in and of itself is where the blessing comes from. That every one of us who are going through seasons of uncertainty in our lives have to make a decision in our lives. What am I going to do with this uncertainty? Am I going to respond to the uncertainty with any sort of, any sort of uh, seeking solutions or seeking the one who gives the solution? If you've ever been to an airport, you've seen passengers who have a confirmed ticket and those who are flying standby. Both of them are going to have a miserable experience, I promise you. But here's what we see. The passenger with the confirmed ticket is sitting at the gate waiting to be called. The passenger on standby is pacing and wondering what's going to happen. Am I going to get called onto this flight? Because there's uncertainty that comes. This morning, I want to ask you a question that you can answer to yourself. In seasons of uncertainty, what is your reflex? What do you do when it comes to God and seasons of uncertainty? Let me be honest, m most of the time, what do I do? I try to solve the problem, clean up the mess myself. And when I'm done cleaning it up, God, you're welcome to come in. A lot of what we do in seasons of uncertainty is just trust ourselves more. In fact, that, that entire phrase in that song that our worship team led us in so beautifully was, here in your presence, I come undone, right? This idea of I stop trusting myself in these situations. And seasons of uncertainty are an invitation for us to stop trusting ourselves. 
is your reflex to make yourself the person who solves the problem. Maybe your reflex is to look at God as your good luck charm in the middle of the process. God, I'm walking through this season of not knowing. Just come with me. I'm going to make the decisions. I'm going to step forward. I'm going to do things. I just need you to come with me as I do this. In seasons of uncertainty, that's often the reflex. That's often the response. What is your reflex? In seasons of not knowing, in messy situations, how do you relate to God? Here's what Jacob did. Jacob started walking. He started getting away. He tried to escape his problems. He's just going. And along the way, he decides to just lie down and rest. And in the middle of his sleep, he has a dream. One of the most famous dreams in all of Scripture. And here's a mistake we can sometimes make. Sometimes we think people who have dreams about God are really spiritual people, don't we? That's not the way the Bible really talks about it. Dreams are often given to people who have no relationship with God. That's the only way to reach them, so they're given a dream. And in this case, Jacob, who has very little, if any, relationship with God, has his first experience with God. His father is Isaac, his grandfather is Abraham, and Jacob has his first encounter with God through this dream. Now, we'll talk about the dream a little bit more in just a little bit, but here's something that Jacob is learning in the middle of this process. He might not even be seeing it, but this undeserving, manipulating liar and deceiver is learning that God's grace is certain even in uncertain times. Because Jacob is as unworthy as it gets, and yet God just keeps lavishing love and mercy upon Jacob. God takes Jacob exactly where he is. God works with Jacob's skewed worldview and gives him a dream that he would understand. The dream, by the way, we'll explain in just a little bit, has so much to do with how people thought in that time, not just a dream that makes sense to someone who would have followed God. God didn't count Jacob's sin against him. God took Jacob where he was and decided to bless him regardless of that because here's what some of us need to be reminded this morning. God's grace is certain even in uncertain times. That if you're walking through an anxious, messy, uncertain period of your life right now, I remind you today that God's grace is certain for you. That grace doesn't disappear when our problems get worse and worse. When my life gets messier and messier, grace does not go away. That's the biggest and first reminder to Jacob through this passage. There's another reminder that we can't forget. Remember, this is the first time that Jacob is interacting with God that we see in Scripture. And so the reminder to Jacob is that in the middle of the mess, God gets personal. God gets personal in the middle of the mess. One of the questions that Christians often ask, do you have a personal relationship with God? I'm not sure of too many other religions or worldviews that would ever ask that question. Yet there is something so powerfully important about that question. Do you have a personal relationship with God? And the truth is, Jacob, of course he does. His father is a patriarch. His grandfather is the patriarch of the faith. Of course he has a relationship with God. Yet nothing in this interaction would show that he does. He's been around the faith, but it's not his faith. 
this morning, I'm really excited that our children have come back and some of our Ignite youth have come back into here because my question to you young people, do you have a personal relationship with God? That this relationship can be personal is a very important concept. He is not someone else's God interacting with other people and somewhere far off in the distance he has a plan and I'm over here learning through someone else that this relationship can be yours because it's a personal relationship. God gets personal with Jacob. He interacts with him one-on-one and personally introduces himself to Jacob. The same God who had been working for generations through Abraham and Isaac gets personal with Jacob. Some of you sitting here this morning are the son or the daughter of an immigrant. You came to this country or your parents came to this country when you were very young maybe. I personally experienced that. My parents came to the U.S. in the 1970s. And one of the phenomena that happens, especially for a lot of children whose parents came from another country, and especially if your grandparents stayed in the previous country, is that you don't really have a relationship with your grandparents. I don't know if a lot of people think about this, but I knew my grandparents. I would talk to them every once in a while. I would sometimes read letters that they had written, or they would, my parents would read letters from them to us. I saw them a couple of summers and got to spend a few weeks with them. I heard amazing stories about their lives and their suffering and their faith. When all four of my grandparents passed away, people would come to me and say their condolences. And I would say thank you. But can I be really honest with you? I wasn't that sad. I was upset. I was upset that my parents were sad. But I didn't really see it as I lost something. Because in my mind, the distant person from the distant story is no longer part of the story. Now, one of the things that happens with faith is something like this. It's someone else's story, someone else's faith. It's something from a distance. It's not for me personally. And this morning, to those of you who are walking through a season of uncertainty, I remind you, God is personal. Listen to what God says to Jacob. He starts by telling Jacob that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. He tells them that through you, I will bless all the nations and I will bless all the families of the earth. He gives all this talk about other people. Abraham, other person. Isaac, other person. Families of the earth, other people. It's always about other people. And then in verse 15, you see this. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Do you see how personal God gets to Jacob? It's, it's, yes, there's this big, long work. There's this plan I've been unfolding since before the foundation of the earth. But you, Jacob, 
I have a promise and a blessing for you. Despite your uncertainty, despite your failures and your sin and your lack of relationship with me, I have a plan for you. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. You are loved. You are part of this plan that is a direct response from Almighty God to a sinful manipulator. Because God's grace is certain in uncertain times. But I want you to study this verse even closer with me. Six times it says, you. Do you notice six times it also says, I. I will be with you. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The relationship is extremely personal. I and you, six times each, 12 times that interpersonal connectedness of the blessing of God is seen there. So what does it tell you and me? That I can have a relationship with you. But here's the problem. For most of us, when we hear that I can have a relationship with Christ, do you know what we do? We start to build a relationship on my terms. We start to do things like, God, hey, come with me as I live out my plan. Hey, God, bless what I'm going to do. It's always about me dictating and God following. And in uncertain times, in messy situations, I'm even worse at this. I make an effort to clean up the mess, and then I say, God, bless my mess. Make it better. Because I'm trying to dictate the terms of that relationship. But God keeps saying, look at this. I am dictating the terms of this relationship. I am with you. It never says you are with me. It says I am with you and I will watch over you. I will not leave you. I will do what I've promised in your life. It's constantly dictated by God. This morning, I want to ask those of you who are going through seasons of uncertainty and anxiety in your own lives, how much of the relationship with God are you trying to dictate? How much of it are, is you negotiating with God? Watch Jacob's response to this. Jacob's response is actually a little comical, and God never once slaps him down and says, that's wrong. Jacob's response is, hey God, if you give me food, clothing, and shelter, and protect me along this journey, then I will give you a tenth of what I have. Jacob is still trying to dictate the terms of the relationship. He's still trying to negotiate with God and make it on his terms, and I think for, if I'm honest, I do this too try to negotiate the terms of the relationship with God. I want God to do things on my terms. I just want him in the distance doing what I need him to do. God is personal this morning. As we close out this morning, I want to remind you that God, his grace is certain in uncertain times. I remind you that in seasons of uncertainty, it's an invitation to you to seek out the blesser more than a blessing. It's an invitation to have a personal relationship with God. But I don't want you to miss what God is doing in terms of a blessing. God is telling Jacob that I can have a relationship with you as I do my long work. Now think about what Jacob thinks a blessing is. A blessing would be having clothing for this journey, food for this journey, shelter and security for this journey. That's what a blessing means to Jacob. God promises him so much more than that. 
and it comes in the form of a dream. I think it's important to take a second to think about what this dream is. In the dream, there is a stairway or a ladder going from heaven to earth, and angels are ascending and descending on that ladder. And Jacob is sleeping in this place called Bethel, or it used to be called Luz. And he's sleeping here, and he has this vision, and then God speaks to him in this dream and tells him that I will be with you. I will not abandon you. I will accomplish my plan through you. And Jacob's only response is, all right, God, just give me food, clothing, and shelter, and I'll be good with you. Here's what the dream really means. You kind of have to fast forward 1,800 years to figure out what the dream actually means. And there's a reason why Jacob got this dream. In that time, the time that Jacob is living, the people of that land, when they had a religion, the religion was simple. It was always, almost always the same. In order to encounter God, you had to go to a pyramid. They were called ziggurats. You had to go to these pyramids. And these pyramid structures where God would come and meet with people. You had to climb up some stairs, and then the messenger of God would meet you there, of the gods of that place would meet you there and give you messages, would give you blessings. And so everything was based on climbing a ladder, climbing stairs to meet with God. So God, in his mercy, shows Jacob a dream that would fit in with what he already knew because he didn't have a personal relationship with God, so he had to give him what he would understand. Jacob's rock is 12 miles away from where all of this would start to make sense. 1,800 years after Jacob has this dream, the Gospel of John captures a moment where Jesus, walking just 12 miles from where that rock is, comes to a man named Nathaniel and has a conversation with him. John chapter 1 tells us in this conversation, Jesus looks at Nathanael and says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Does everyone see it? Jacob's name becomes Israel. And what did Jacob mean or what did Jacob constantly be known for was his deceit. And here is Jesus calling out the Jacob story in this interaction with one man in John chapter 1. And then Jesus says this line to talk about himself. I say to you, you will see the sky opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is reminding you and me right now that what Jacob saw 1,800 years ago and angels descending and ascending on a ladder, Jesus says, I am the ladder. I am the only way to God. I am the only way to the Father. If you want to ever, ever find certainty in your life, you've got to use the way that I'm providing you. That only through Jesus Christ is there ever going to be a connection between God and man. That it only comes through the grace offered by Jesus Christ. He says, I am the gate is the exact word that Jesus uses about himself. What did Jacob see in his dream? That this is the gate of heaven. 1,800 years later, Jesus would come to this earth. He would come and walk among humanity and he would teach and he would preach. He would perform miracles and ultimately be tortured, suffer and be executed on a cross as a way for us to see God again. 
He even says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, meaning I am the only way between heaven and earth. I am the only gate that you can go through. So Jacob is sitting in Bethel, hoping that God will somehow provide food, clothing, and shelter in my uncertain time. But God is thinking so much bigger than that. He's thinking that every family in the history of the world will be blessed by what I'm about to do through you, Jacob. Jacob, in your mind, you think blessing is food, clothing, and shelter, but Jacob, there is so much more than that. And this morning, for those of you who are suffering through a season of uncertainty and anxiety in your life, just questioning and wondering, I remind you today that certainty comes from knowing the ladder, knowing the way between God and man. And he is working out a long-term work, a big work that's going on in your life personally for all of humanity. And what Jacob experiences that day is a small taste of that. Yeah, I'll give you food, I'll give you clothing, I'll give you shelter, but why? Because I have this much bigger work that's at work right now. This morning I want to ask you, can you see the long work of God in the middle of your uncertainty? Because uncertainty is an invitation to get personal with God. I want to invite our worship team to come back up this morning as we prepare to close. I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. When I dropped the glass outside of my parents' home, I made a mess. When there was bloody tracks inside the house, I made my mess even worse. And then I look at my life, even as an adult, this constantly happens. I take my mess and I make it messier because I have to be in control. I have to be the solution. This morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you even right now. Those of you who are in anxious, uncertain situations that you do not have to clean up the mess. That grace is certain for you tonight, today. Some of you need to be reminded that grace is a certainty. That God offers this grace as a free gift to us. If you're willing to accept it. Some of you this morning may have never accepted that gift before. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior. You've heard people use that word personal savior, but never really understood it. This morning, I want, as every eye is closed in this place, I want to invite you, to, if you want to just raise your hand up, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're saying, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I'd love to have a conversation with you later as well. Amen. And for others among us right now, there is this deep uncertainty. What does the future hold and how will I get through it? today I remind you that uncertain times are an invitation to know a certain God. Get personal with him. Right now, even where you're sitting, talk to him. Lord, I've been distant from you. I've been far from you. I've been trying to do things my way and figure it out. But God, I thank you for the reminder through Jacob's life that you are a God who gets personal. Be personal with me right now, Lord. God, in my uncertain, messy situations, would you be personal with me right now? Lord, I'm done leading, I wanna follow. Lord, I'm done doing everything my way, I want it your way. 
God, I surrender to what you have because I believe you are working a long work and you already know what tomorrow holds. So God, I trust you more today. I put my faith back in the one who is certain. And while my life can feel uncertain and while there's anxiety all around me, I thank you for the reminder that you are at work, that you are in a long work. It is a sal salvation causing work. It is a forgiving work. It is a work that changes and transforms me. And this morning, God, I wanna be a part of that work. Be personal to me, oh God, this morning. God, I thank you that you don't count my sin against me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. I thank you, God, that we are washed clean and that the guilt of the past does not have to follow me on this journey. I thank you for forgiveness this morning. God, I pray that you would transform the lives of my friends who are here this morning. We're walking through uncertainty. We're walking through a mess. But we thank you, God, for the unstoppable blessing that comes through you, Lord God the unstoppable blessing that took place on the cross of Calvary that washed us from all of our sins. Thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for redemption and healing. I thank you for reconciliation in families. I thank you for all the brokenness that we are experiencing right now because it brings us back to you, Lord God. God, let this be a morning that changes us. Thank you for the certainty of the cross. Thank you for the certainty of grace. Despite the uncertainty we live through, we thank you for the certainty of what you did, God. Be personal to us this morning. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's rise to our feet. Let's worship the Lord together, this personal, personal God.